Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, it's Major Garrett, and welcome to our new podcast. Did you know we have a new feed completely separate from the takeout as well? Please just search Debriefing the Briefing. Click subscribe, and then if you can, and we'd really love this, drop us a rating and or a review. Pretty soon, you'll have to be subscribed to the new feed if you want to hear new episodes of Debriefing the Briefing. Thank you, and now let's start the show. The whole world is watching us. You have 184 countries out there that have been hit, and now it's probably higher than that. But uh, they're all watching us. They're all watching, and they're calling, and they respect what we're doing so much. We're one team, one mission, that's to save lives. Clarify your comments about injections of disinfectant. They're, they're quite No, I was asking a question sarcastically to reporters like you, just to see what would happen. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you very much. Mr. President? From CBS Audio, this is Debriefing the Briefing. Here's CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. Hello from Washington and welcome to Debriefing the Briefing, a summary of the daily White House Coronavirus Task Force briefing, April 24th, the 49th briefing, by far the shortest of all 49 briefings, just 21 minutes. The next shortest on March 9th and March 24th, 41 minutes. President Trump, in his opening remarks, said the whole world is watching. Vice President Pence said the total of COVID-19 tests conducted so far across the country, 5.1 million. He noted expansion efforts to increase testing in Tennessee, Iowa, Massachusetts, Indiana, Maryland, Utah, New Jersey, Missouri, and Connecticut, in some cases with Labs in those states where capacity can and will be increased in collaboration in some states with universities. And he also noted that in some of the states just mentioned, governors are undertaking drive-through testing procedures in the coming days and weeks, all with a focus on expanding not only capacity, but tests conducted and results created. The lack of questions given to the president, he walked away before any questions could even be asked of him, indicates a sense of drama within the White House and consternation about the comments President Trump made on Thursday about disinfectants and sunlight. Because President Trump's comments created so much reaction, not only in the disinfectant industry, in the medical world, public health officials, I wanted to bring in our senior medical correspondent with CBS News, Dr. Tara Narula. Dr. Narula, any practical application whatsoever for disinfectants on the skin or inside the body? No. And it's really important to emphasize this. Uh, there have been a number of groups emphasizing this today, both doctors and industry groups. Uh, we need to get the information out to the public that there is no science, no data to support using any disinfectants inside the body or on the skin. That can actually be harmful. It can be harmful, especially inside. Yes, that's correct. These are chemicals. They are meant for external cleaning of surfaces. They are not meant to be ingested. 
they can damage the internal organs if that's done. And similarly with the skin, it can be toxic to the skin and irritating as well. The president said on Friday he was being sarcastic, yet for hours this information was out there and had to be dealt with. Uh, there is damage done already. True? Yes. You know, words matter and how you present information matters. Uh, those of us who work in the medical journalism and media community know it more than anybody. Uh, you can have the best intentions even for conveying the science, but if you say it the wrong way, the impact is profound. And people people listen to what you say. They hang on every word that you say. And if you say something incorrectly, unfortunately, it can be very damaging and devastating if people take that information and use it the wrong way. So not only does the science have to be correct and you have to get your information from the scientists, but the way it's communicated has to be correct as well. Is there anything to investigate in terms of sunlight, humidity, as it relates to COVID-19? Absolutely. All of those things are going to be important. The more research we have in terms of the effect of things like sunlight or UV exposure or temperature on the survivability of the virus is going to be good information for us. But as of now, there, you know, we still don't know what effect summer or fall or any change in our seasons is going to have, if any, on coronavirus. We know that we've seen COVID-19 outbreaks in places that are warm and sunny and hot and humid. So we're going to have to wait and see. We've seen them in places that are cold and dry. We just don't have the information yet, but absolutely uh, science is about information. And the more that we get, the better able we will be to help uh, our country fight this pandemic. Our colleague, Wee Zhang, who covers the White House, was in with President Trump on Friday and asked him about this idea that he wasn't exactly serious when he talked about disinfectants. And I want to play a little bit of that clip because the president is denying he was serious or even suggesting that his medical professionals look into this. Let's play that. Steve. Can you clarify your comments about injections of disinfectant, they're, they're quite... No, provocative. I was asking a question sarcastically to reporters like you just to see what would happen. And there's another aspect of that conversation. Dr. Nerula, I want you to hear that as well. But you were okay. asking your medical experts to look into it. Uh, were you being no, sarcastic no, 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 with no, them? no. To look into whether or not sun and disinfectant on the hands, but whether or not sun can help us. That doesn't comport with what the president said in his own words from the podium on Thursday. Not to my listening and not to my reading. You know, Major, it's just it's all very confusing to the American public when they're hearing something and then they're hearing something else. And, you know, those of us who've been reporting on this and science in the science community feel that if there's one thing that is critical, it's transparency and honesty. You know, that is the way that you build trust in people about about the science and about what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And unfortunately, whatever the intention is, when you have this back and forth and these mixed messages, it's just very disconcerting. And it's and it's difficult for the American public then to know what to do and, and what decisions to make. Before the president tried that explanation, his press secretary blamed the media for misinterpreting this. But when Lysol puts out a statement, that's not the media. Well, as we said, not only has Lysol put out a statement, the Surgeon General, the American Medical Association, there have been many, many people and societies and groups who've had to respond. And, and that's that's the point of what we're saying is that 
you know, unfortunately, whatever the intentions are, when the information is presented in a certain way that's maybe confusing or misleading or misinterpreted, it just, uh, it, it doesn't do any good for the American public. It is a disservice. And so at the end of the day, we keep coming back to the same point, which is that we need to be listening to the doctors, the scientists, those who are able to effectively, appropriately communicate what we know and what we don't know. And it's important to say what we don't know as well. And I want to get the audience to understand in your own words, Dr. Narula, because doctors have said this many, many times, the clarity and the specificity and the directness of information matters so much. And it's my understanding that within the medical profession, this is an ongoing conversation because even when doctors are looking straight into the eyes of a patient, and saying things not once but twice, and then it's written down, things can still get misinterpreted or misunderstood and misapplied, even when the best of intentions and the most repetition and the clearest streams of communication exist anyway. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and I think we can't emphasize enough the value of communication in the medical profession. And you're right, whether it's with a patient sitting in front of you or over the phone, uh, lots of times what you are trying to communicate or what you mean to communicate, maybe not the way that the patient understands it or interprets it. And so we do have to think a lot about how we say things and we may need to say things more than once and in more than one way. And it is about that open dialogue, open, honest communication. That That's, again, what builds trust in the doctor-patient relationship and it builds trust in the relationship that the general public has with the public health community and what they're hearing. And that's vitally important because people are not going to make decisions about their health if they don't trust the people they're hearing the information from. You've been covering this story as one of our as our senior medical correspondent for weeks and weeks. Where do you think we are? And do you see some things that are signs of legitimate optimism and reason for hope? Well, Major, I never want to not have a reason for hope. I think hope is really important. And I do think we've made huge strides. Um, Our testing capacity has improved. Are we where we need to be? No. I think that we do need more testing. Everybody has said that. We're now entering a new phase where we're going to have to be contact tracing. We're going to have to roll out the antibody testing program. So you know, there is a lot that still needs to be done. But certainly the signs that we're seeing here, at least in New York, are promising that we have peaked and are on the downward trend. But, you know, your heart aches every time you hear about one of these deaths. And and on our show, you know, Gail King has been wonderful in talking about the fact that these aren't numbers. Every single statistic is a person, is somebody who had, uh, you know, a husband, a, a, a child, a parent. And so, yes, we're seeing hope. But at the same time, every day that we hear about more and more of these deaths, it's it's tragic. Um, And the fact that we still have a situation where we don't have enough PPE for our providers this far into the pandemic, that's also uh, an issue that I, that I worry about. So I have hope that things are going in the right direction, but, you know, there's still a lot that we need to do to get to the point where we have a handle on this. And that is also going to include therapeutics and drug development, and ultimately a vaccine. Once we get the vaccine, I think people can probably breathe a sigh of relief, but we're all holding our breath a little bit until we get to that point. The president said earlier this week, uh, very close. And then he was asked, what do you mean? And he said, well, I don't want to give a date, but it does seem that there is breakneck energy and maybe some speed 
behind the vaccine. Do you have any sense of where that is? Well, we heard news today out of Europe that was promising that they're starting trials uh, of the vaccine in humans. And so I, I do think that, you know, the industry and scientists and the research community are working at a feverish pace to get a vaccine off the ground. I mean, science takes a long time. You have to do things the right way so the vaccine is safe. So we definitely don't want to rush it. But I think that everybody is pushing in that direction. And again, it's not just with the vaccine development. It's also with drug development uh, as well, which is also going to be helpful to at least have options to help treat patients until you get a vaccine. Where are we on hydroxychloroquine? <laughs> We're still learning. Uh, you know, we we still need more research. We need more data. We certainly have an understanding that some of these drugs like hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine, particularly if combined with azithromycin, have a uh, pro-arrhythmic effects on the heart, something called QT prolongation, and can cause deadly arrhythmia. So, you know, certainly it's important, again, for people to understand that before we push or promote drugs, we need to have the science there, the clinical trials to back them up, to say that the benefits outweigh the risks and to understand what the risks are. So we're still in a point right now where we need the research to help guide us. Uh, from my conversations with experts in this field of drug development, many have said that at some point, hydroxychloroquine may be more valuable in an outpatient type setting with people who have more mild symptoms, uh, not so much maybe to be used in the inpatient setting in people who are more severely ill. Uh, there are drugs that are being explored, things like the uh, IL-6 inhibitors, prosilizumab, cerilumab. This is another drug class that deals with those cytokine storm or uh, what we think is kind of the final end pathway of what makes people uh, deteriorate very quickly. So th there are lots of options. There are options that are looking at targeting different points in the pathway of which this virus causes the damage that it does. So time will tell. How do you look at the fall flu season and COVID-19 in terms of potential problems and how we are or are not ramping up to prepare ourselves? Well, there's no question that it's going to be a double whammy if we have a difficult and tough flu season on top of a resurgence uh, of COVID. Not only difficult for our healthcare communities and hospitals, but also in even just differentiating, you know, which one we're dealing with. And hopefully by that point, we'll have adequate testing so that we can quickly tell this is COVID or this is the flu. Again, we emphasize the importance of vaccination for the flu. That's going to be vitally important so that we keep those flu numbers down so we don't have a, a system, healthcare system that's overwhelmed with both flu patients and COVID patients. That's the voice of CBS News senior medical correspondent, Dr. Tara Narula. My very great thanks to her for joining us. That's all for this edition of Debriefing the Briefing. Until next time, I'm Major Garrett in Washington. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. 
It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.